Sue Blake continues our series looking at the letter to the Ephesians, on this occasion looking at chapter 2. Unfortunately the beginning of our audio recording was lost, but she began by asking someone to read from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10, so I'll do that for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These great words were followed by Sue reading the same passage, this time in the message, and she continues now. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. I love that, the picture that God embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own, with no help from us. And then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven, in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we'd better be doing. Okay, so I think these... For some of us, these are really familiar verses. And in a way, like Pete was talking about the impact, sometimes we've heard these words and we've read these words, we've read them again and again. And 
you know, we can't, we can't pretend that we don't know them, but we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us have a fresh revelation of, of what's in there. And um, what I thought I would do, um, if you kind of wind the clock back a little to last year, I know it's difficult for us to do that, um, when we started to talk about our community groups and how we wanted our community groups to go, there were three themes that we had that ran through the heart of it. And one is communion, so our relationship with the Lord. One was community, which is our relationship together. And the third one was our reaching out. Okay, And I thought that I would actually use those kind of themes as windows, as it were, to look at these ten verses in Ephesians chapter 2. And for me, there's a kind of natural progression that we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, which leads us to want to be with others who also have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And causes us to want to share the kind of good stuff that we've benefited from. All right, so that's why, that's where I'm, go- I'm going with those, those three. And the first thing I'm going to look at is in terms of our relationship with the Lord. And I wanted to look at this verse first, or verses. For it is great, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And it's such a straightforward message. God's done it. There's nothing else that we can do. But we find it really difficult not to add a but in there. And I remember once in my life having... a being in a a meeting and somebody was saying, you know, what could you do to make God love you more? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about what I could do. And I mean, I'm not alone. Everybody's sitting there thinking. And the person said, there's nothing. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more than he does at this particular moment. And it was mind-blowing, because I had my little list ready of things that I might do that might make God love me more. And it was a revelation that kind of was here and here, and it changed how I was and how I um, looked at things. But I think that we still sometimes fall into a temptation that we must be doing something. And it's difficult just to accept the truth of it for what it is. And I think sometimes we're in danger of kind of still justifying. If I just read my Bible more, if I just try a bit harder, if I just pray more, God will be more pleased with me. But God is pleased with you. Because you accepted his son. 
that kind of just covers it all. And so I just want to remind you about that really and just A, ask the God maybe for a fresh revelation of that and B, let's do a little checking that we're not trying to do stuff to make us feel better and to make us feel somehow worthy or acceptable. God did it through Jesus. He made us acceptable. We need to accept that and enjoy the truth of it and know its release in our life. Okay? This next bit, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to Christ Jesus. We kind of read those words, don't we? And sometimes I have to keep rereading this sentence. But this is clarifying who we are in Jesus. And so you, you could say that in the spiritual realm where Jesus is supreme, that's where we are, through union with Jesus. And I think probably we all need, um, we all need a fresh revelation from God about this because I would be the first person to put my hand up and say that I'm not sure that I've completely got this yet. Um, It's almost, uh, when I was looking at this and preparing for this, I thought to myself, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Do you know what? You you read that, we're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. Oh, come on, get real kind of thing. How how can that be true? But it's there in the word. And so we, we somehow not only have got to accept it, we've got to try and get our heads around it. Now, in kind of, obviously you'll appreciate I've done a bit of reading round different books, and I'm not a theologian, but I have read a few books. Um, the Ephesians had a view of things, I'm going to have to wave my hands about now, that um, the Ephesians' view was that the heavenlies, this was the place of both God and where ungodly powers are located so you know throughout Ephesians you get pictures of the height or the earth or the heavenlies so they had a real view the heavenlies it was that was where God was but that's where the demons of the air were too and in their understanding everybody is affected by what's going on in the heavenlies So it's either God or it's the powers of the air that are influencing you. If we kind of try and follow the logic of what's in the verses, if we are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus, then we are under this influence, the godly heavenly influence, we're not under the powers of the air because we're in, in Christ. If we're raised and exalted with him and we sit in that place with him, 
then we share Christ's ability over the powers of the air. Hence, we are free not to sin and not to fall into other things. We can resist those spiritual forces because we have God at work in us. So I'm going to go outside of chapter 2, I'm afraid. I don't know if that's a bit naughty. But chapter 3, verse 20 says, um, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So we can resist the power of the evil one because God is at work in us. We possess God's armour. So that's, I'm doing a little trailer for Ephesians 6 here, okay? We'll learn about God's armour later in the series. And we can pray. In chapter 6, verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Okay, so we can pray, we've got access to the Spirit, and so we are occupying a different position. But I wonder whether in our thinking or our actions, whether we are occupying this position or whether we're struggling with what's going on over here. And I was trying to come up with some pictures now, I know it always gets a bit dangerous when you start looking at pictures because they don't always fit the bill. But I was thinking to myself, if I think about my house and my family, if I'm in my home, I can do what I like, can't I? You know, I can go to the fridge and get food out, food out and eat, or I can go and cook something, um, If I want to rearrange the furniture while Tim's out. (laughs) But it's, it's my place. I'm at home there. I can use what's there. I don't have to ask anybody else. Okay? However, if I'm a guest in somebody's house, unless it's somebody I know well, the chances are I'm not going to raid the fridge when I'm feeling a bit peckish. The chances are I'm not going to rearrange their furniture and I'm going to kind of hopefully be polite. Would you mind? Could I use? That kind of thing. Now, I'm using that as a picture to say that because we are seated in the heavenlies, okay, and the heavenlies are going to be here for the minute, we have certain rights and responsibilities. We don't have to ask permission to... Because we're already here, seated with Jesus. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. I'm not a guest. I'm family. And so I wanted you just to have a a look again at those verses and say to yourself, I'm family. So I'm seated up here in the heavenlies. Now, the bit that it talks about uh, ages to come expressing the kindness... None of us would expect to be 
seated with Jesus. Whatever we know about him, none of us would be expecting him to say, come and have a seat with me. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord and is saved will be invited to have that seat. And when it talks about, um, you know, let me go back to the words, in order that in coming ages he might show the riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us, just think how many hundreds and thousands of people have been invited to sit with Jesus. And isn't that amazing? It's, it is, it's kindness personified. I mean, it's more than kindness. Um, but it's going to take a long time with all those people over the years. This person is here. That person is there. God is going to be displaying his kindness in inviting us to be seated in the heavenlies. So, do we occupy the place we've been given? The other thing that I came across, which was quite an interesting little thought, really, was that as believers, we're living in two dimensions because we are alive in the earth and we are alive in the heavenlies. Um, And so, we have got... You could say we could almost be in danger of having a, like a split personality. But, so we have a life on earth, but right now we also have a life in the heavenlies. Now, I don't fully understand what all that means, but I know that from what I'm reading here, I have a spiritual life that exists on a different plane than this stuff here and that what I can understand But somebody who is not a believer, who is still dead spiritually, they've got one life, and this is it, currently. So it's an interesting thought, isn't it? I expect some of you, I can see some of you thinking. (laughs) If I've said something, if I've gone off the rails, I'm sure someone will put me right. I just thought it it was an interesting thought to think I'm living a life, a spiritual life, at the same time as I'm living my life on earth. And there are also, I'm sure some of you could go away and have a look at the word and think about, okay, well, what what does this, what does this mean? So this is in our communion for God. I'm going to have to speed up. Okay, this is the handiwork bit. Um... Why have I put this in community when uh, it says that we're God's handiwork? Well, the reason why I've put it in community is because I think we need to help each other into our futures. And what I mean by that is encouragement. We all need encouragement. If God has prepared things for us to do, for us to be more than perhaps we thought we might be because of what God's done in us. Sometimes we need a bit of a helping hand to get on the way. And it may be prayerfully. We might be um, praying for ourselves that we're responsive to the call of the Spirit on our lives. It may be that we could be praying for each other that we're responsive to the call of the Spirit on our lives and follow after him. It might be that we need to do something practically 
We need to get alongside somebody. All of us need help at different times to get from one place to another, whether that's emotionally or whether we've got some practical issues. It might be that we need somebody to help us into greater freedom. And also we could help each other maybe prophetically, just waiting on God and thinking about different people in the church and saying, well, Lord, what have you got for this person? You know, what, what, what would you be saying to them? And see what God um, shares with you. So that's where the community uh, bit is. We're all called together for purpose. And as people talk about different bits of Ephesians as we go along, we're going to learn more about kind of living together and living in a certain way and fulfilling roles that we might have within, within the church. So that, that's to come. Okay, the last bit is the mission bit. And I'm really going to have to be careful not to get carried away here because I got quite excited when I was doing, putting the stuff down on paper. Although I've put this in our message for others, actually it's also our message for ourselves, isn't it? Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And I was thinking about um, what elements of this would I want to be sharing with other people. So let's take the first one. Okay. Uh, Sorry, right at the beginning, I'm getting a bit carried away here with verses. At the start of chapter 2, it says... What? What does it say at the start of chapter 2? Yeah. We were, we were dead, weren't we? It's saying that at the beginning, okay, we were dead in sins and transgressions, which we were just dead. We were spiritually dead. Okay? And there was no way being spiritually dead, that we were going to be able to make contact with God. There are different ways that we could express that spiritual deadness. Um, I mean, we talk about sin, okay? Sin can be a whole number of things, can't it? It can be, um, you know, we can all think of things, actions, we think, that is you know, that's horrible. That's a horrible thing to do. Um, But fundamentally, we were just busy living our own lives, our own way, with us at the centre of it. Um, And nothing else existed. We were in that one dimension where we were under the influence of the powers of the air, shall we say, we were just living our own way. And uh, so we, we were dead. But God has made us alive. And I'll come to that bit in a minute. The other part of this, which I think is just so wonderful, is that we're no longer facing God's anger All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, 
We were by nature deserving of wrath. We were going about doing things which would mean that we were the object of God's anger. And sin, it, it, it does bad stuff, doesn't it? Um, it kind of brings a tarnish into our lives. And, you know, I've got the word innocence down here. Once we've lost our innocence, it, we can't pull it back, can we? Oh, there's a tarnish there. And living by the world's standards and the world's values, um, the world's standards and values don't quite fit with God's standards and values. It's like oil and water. You can try and mix them, but they don't mix. And so we were in this position of being objects of anger and spiritually dead. But God... God made us alive. When we were at our most unlovely, God made a decision to bring life to us. And it's one of those weird things because, okay, Jesus died and something happened that meant any person at any time who calls on the Lord to be saved will be saved because God made it possible through what Jesus did. So I've got a couple of little parallel things here. We're made alive. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus went into heaven. We were raised up. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. We're seated with Jesus. We were objects of God's anger, but God had mercy. We were dead in sin, but God made us alive. We were slaves, but God raised us up. So there's been this big exchange. Deadness for life. And that is a message that we should be sharing with any person that we have opportunity to do so. Because I want to hear that I could have life. I don't want to be left dead, spiritually dead. Now, I'm not saying that you could, you know, if I went out and told my next door neighbour, did you know that you're spiritually dead? I don't think it's going to be a good message. They're not going to understand it. And let's be honest, it's taken me quite a while to understand it as well. (laughs) However, Somebody who feels that they've mucked up and want to get straight. Uh, Somebody who feels that they've done stuff that they'd rather leave behind. Well, that's a different kind of message, isn't it? Because I can can relate to that. Um, And I know Tim talked to us before uh, when he did his Ephesians uh, message about our identity is hid with Christ. Um, we're not going to face judgment we're not going to face anger because we are in Christ and Jesus faced that judgment of God on our behalf so think about how you can speak into uh, 
people around you. If I asked you to think back to Keith's introduction to Ephesians, he showed us what I would say is a very cosmopolitan world in um, Ephesus. All sorts of different people worshipping different gods, a marketplace. It's not really very different from the kind of world that we live in. But the people are the same. And so the message at some point that came to us that brought us freedom and brought us life is is a message that we can bring to others. And so, uh, you know, in a way I challenge you to think about how you can use that message to reach out to others. I'm going to finish. I just want to emphasise the fact that... um, we're not going to face judgment, which is pretty mind-boggling, um, because we're in Jesus. I'm going to use a little example in a minute, but before I do that, if I just kind of pull together what I've been trying to communicate, is that God, God has made us alive. We were dead, but now we are alive. And not only that... We're seated in a heavenly place with Jesus. We have an earthly life and we have a spiritual life. And are we, are we at home? Are we in the family home? Or are we kind of still acting a bit like a guest? How are we doing in helping each other to develop and walk in those good works that God's got for us? Nobody's excluded in that. There isn't a name that's left off the, left off the list. It's all of us. And how, how can we communicate a message of freedom and life um, out in our world today? Um, so, the little example. I don't know how many of you um, have watched the film Spartacus. The old-fashioned one with Kirk Douglas in... Anybody nodding, waiting? Anybody seen it? Oh, a couple of people have seen it? Okay. So for the benefit of those that haven't, Spartacus is a great warrior. He's a slave and he's helped all these slaves escape and there's been all these battles and the Romans have had it. And there's a standoff and the Romans have caught all these slaves. And in this bit of the film, all the slaves are on the hillside And Spartacus is sitting with them. And the Roman guy gets up and he's a bit like, okay, this is what's going to... You're slaves, you're still slaves, but there's a way out of this. You give us Spartacus and we'll let you get on with your life as it was. And so you see Kirk Douglas sitting there thinking, you know, if I don't give myself up, it's death for everybody. And at the precise moment that he stands up, so does his friend next to him. And they both say at the same time, I'm Spartacus. And one by one, they all stand up and say, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus. And there's a whole noise of people saying, I'm Spartacus. I wanted to say to you that when it gets to that moment when Jesus looks at you, or God looks at you, he's going to say, Because when God 
we're not going to be that judgment or what we think we've done wrong. No, he's going to look at us and he's going to see Jesus. We have a different future. Lord, Lord, we love you. Lord, there's lots we don't understand, but Lord, what we do understand causes us to love you and to seek after you and want to understand more. And Lord, I just pray that out of what I've shared, Lord, you'd just take away any rubbish, but Lord, you'd you'd capture our hearts and just cause us to long after you and worship you and be released into what you have for us as your children. Lord, may we go into into our week knowing your hand of blessing, your hand of kindness upon our lives. Amen. Amen.